We're going to have our Bible reading now. Please follow along in your Bibles. The reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. If you want to use the black hardback Bible that's in the pew rack, um, the reading starts on page 33. It's Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Have you ever... Have you ever walked into a modern art gallery or a postmodern art gallery and stood in front of some of the artwork and just thought to yourself, what on earth was the artist trying to communicate with that? And you can go into like the National Gallery or the Portrait Gallery and you stand in front of a work of art and you can say, I I can see exactly what they meant about that. I I can see that that's a picture of a king or a queen or there's some kind of scene from the Bible. I get that. But when you walk into those galleries where these strange works of art, you usually need a little blurb to the side to explain what on earth is going on with that sculpture or that work of art. And when you're walking around these galleries, I'm guessing you're going to see a bunch of people kind of standing there like this, gazing closely at the works of art, kind of maybe a furrowed brow, maybe head slightly tilted, maybe chin in their hand, just kind of thinking, what did the artist intend with that? Now, now take that look, take that look that you see on those people's faces and put it onto my face. That's me when I picked up this story and asked the question, what was the author trying to show us with what's going on right here? Because what we have right here is is Jacob on his path home. He's so scared of meeting his brother Esau. He's working the situation in fear. And then we find him being set upon by some mystery man who turns out to be God. And Jacob is learning something through that. What on earth is this? passage about. Now, this week, I've been wrestling with a passage that's about wrestling. And here's what I've got. I'm going to give the game away early on, okay? What I think this passage is about is not so much Jacob coming to know God for the first time. That's sometimes how this is understood, that he's been on this this crazy journey and all of a sudden he comes to know God for the first time. I don't think that's the case because throughout his life he's been talking to God. God's been talking to him. There's been a claim by God on Jacob. What I think is going on here is that this is a defining moment. 
This is one of those defining moments in Jacob's life that kind of unfolds everything that's been going on so far. So this moment is a moment that typifies how God has been refining, molding, forming, and transforming Jacob to be a character who can carry the promise. Now remember, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He's the one who's carrying this promised hope of salvation. But what I think is going on in this passage is, is, is it's, a, it's a scene that typifies or reveals or unfolds everything that's been going on in his life up until this point. And it shows us how God has been refining his servant, how God has been molding Jacob, How God's been shaking him. How God has been putting him through the furnace. How God has been forming him into a character whom he can use in a really, really profound way. This is about Jacob. This this scene is about how God has been forming Jacob to be someone who could carry the promise of salvation. To be someone who could carry that promise of hope. That's how God is forming him. Now, Now this whole passage, right, this is... This journey that Jacob has been on in his whole life, that, uh, that we find typified in this passage, let's, let's just start on level ground. It is not an easy path. The path that God uses to refine his people, the path that God uses to form his people into the kind of characters who can be the ones who carry that promise, is not an easy road. This kind of path that Jacob's been walking is not like walking down a country lane in the summer. There is not sunshine at every single turn. There's not birds singing. There's not flowers blossoming. And it's not a straight and easy path to walk. You see, this path of transformation that seems to come to a climax right here has been a really, really hard road. But it's the road God has been using to transform, to mold, and to refine, and form Jacob into, the, into a character whom God can say, right, you're okay to carry this promise. I'm going to use you. Now, that's not to say he's perfect from now on. He really messes up down the road. We know that. But God's been forming, he's been molding, and he's been refining this character, Jacob. So I think we can can understand this path through four key words we find in this text, okay? Four key words. We're going to throw them up on the screen. Alone prevailed, limp, and blessing. So, alone, prevailed, limp, and blessing. We're going to use those four words to unpack what this road of refining looks like. What does this road that God takes Jacob on to become that character actually look like? So, let's get moving through this. Let's, let's reread the first couple of verses we were looking at. Now, remember, Jacob is absolutely terrified from meeting his brother Esau. Verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, a river. He then took them and sent them across the stream And everything else that he had. Look at the first half of verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. It seems like right there, the author wants us to see something. Wants us to notice something. He doesn't just say, Jacob sent everyone on ahead of himself. But we get that reinforcement. Just in case you missed it, he was left alone. 
Now, now let's step back for a moment here, and I'll give you perhaps a little tip on how we read the Bible, and particular books that are in, in a narrative genre like Genesis. Let me illustrate. Most of you have heard of Charles Dickens. When Charles Dickens was in his prime, most of the publishers and the newspapers would give him like a, a word quota or a page quota. So they would say, Charles Dickens, you're so popular, we need you to write this much, these, these many pages, this many words this week, and then we'll give you your paycheck. So that meant that Charles Dickens had lots of space and lots of time and lots of words to be extremely descriptive. So that's why when you read Charles Dickens, you'll find him, you, you'll find him describing the, the features on someone's face. You, you'll see him describing what they're wearing. He'll describe the scenery. You'll, you'll hear the, the sounds and the sights and the smells and all of the other people. And he, he gives these beautifully rich, descriptive depictions of what the characters and the environments are like. Now take that. The, the way Genesis works and other texts like it is completely the opposite. Genesis, the Genesis author and what we find in the Bible is they don't have loads of page space. There's not, it's not, they don't say, right, I've got to feel this much page space, so I'm going to use all this description. That's not how it works. It's the opposite. There's limited page space. So what we get is just the bare bones. What we get is the most relevant details. So if that's true, when we're reading the Bible, we always need to ask the question, well, why did they include that detail? If they were so skint with the details, why did they choose to talk about that type of food? Why did they talk about that type of clothing? Why did they talk about that location or that time of day or that scenery? You see, if there's not an unlimited page space, we have to ask the question, why are, they, why are the authors including that given detail? And what we're given in these first couple of verses is this re-emphasis that Jacob is alone. Now, I think this is pointing to us, unfolding to us, how God has been working with Jacob throughout his life. That's not to say that Jacob has been alone his whole life. That's to say that God has been dealing with Jacob personally. Now, if you've been around for the Jacob series, you will know the kind of things he's been through. You know, he's had that family dysfunction and conflict in the beginning. He's, he's been manipulated. He's, he's, he's been betrayed. It's been difficult, and now he's full of fear. Life hasn't been easy for him, but at every single turn, he has been dealt with by God personally. This path of transformation that Jacob's on, God's refining path, is where God deals with people personally. Now, I think that's a good reminder for absolutely every one of us in this room, because we know it's completely, completely possible for us to, to sit here in church, to sing tr Christian truths together in song, to, to pray together, to learn from God's word, to, to be plugged in with a ministry team or to be a part of a community group. We know it's possible to be caught up in all of the wonderful things that go on in any given church life and completely miss the fact that what's going on is actually God's meeting with us personally and wants us. Jacob's being transformed personally. Now, maybe, maybe this is helpful for those of us in the room who wouldn't consider ourselves Christians yet. Notice I said yet. But can you see? Can you see that God wants to deal with you personally? Can you see that all of the wonderful things that go on in any given church family is, is great? 
It's great to be a part of things. It's great to learn from his word and have our Monday mornings look different because of it. But can you see through all of this that God is meeting us in a personal way? You see, this path of refining, this path of transformation, this path of forming into the character he would have us be, well, he begins by using us, working with us personally. Now, now the drama in this story is about to unfold. It gets really crazy here. Look at this, second half of 24. And a man wrestled. It doesn't say where he came from. He came out of nowhere. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, look at this, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Let's try and pick that apart a little bit right there, because we've got this man coming out of nowhere. We know later on in the passage that this is God that Jacob is wrestling with. He can't see him. It's through the night, and he doesn't really even find out who God's name is at this point. But he's wrestling with him. And look at that in the second half right there. It says, he touched Jacob's hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as they wrestled. But what we also have right there is that Jacob is prevailing. I don't know about you, but when I look at verse 25, I just kind of think, is there, is there some kind of contradiction going on? Is there some kind of paradox? Because, because we have this, this wrestle going on, and Jacob is prevailing. That, that means Jacob is winning. Jacob is standing up to the task. But then we have in the second half that this character, whom Jacob is winning against, touches his hip, and he really, really, really hurts him. The, the word there for touching of the hip is the Hebrew word for the merest of touches. And and the dislocation of the hip, that's the same word used very often or normally being used for a fatal blow. So what happens is that this character touches Jacob's hip with the slightest, the merest of contact, just a brush, and he hurts him in a way that would normally be fatal. And yet Jacob is prevailing. How on earth are we supposed to understand what's going on here? Because what we have is this character, obviously, whom Jacob is wrestling, who has the power, if he just touches him with a slight, slightest touch and hurts him like that, has the power to absolutely obliterate him. Obviously, this character that Jacob is wrestling has the power to just evaporate him into nothing. So, so what's going on here? I think this is very much like how a parent would wrestle their child. Now, now when I come in from work at, you know, just after five on a weekday, I love it when the kids run up to me. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, and I love it. And so from, from my daughter Rosie, I'll get some kind of very, very girly welcome. She'll talk to me about a butterfly that she drew. She will show me something glittery or show me her nice pink socks or something like that. Look at what I've been doing, Dad. But when Jude runs up to me, my boy, he'll come up to me, and I won't get a kiss, I won't get a hug, I won't get a hi. It will be a, you want to fight, Dad? You want to fight? Yeah, all right, let's have a fight then, Jude. So we just go at it in the living room. We have a big old, big old punch-up. And so as we're wrestling, I've got to get rid of some of that energy from Jude before dinner time so we can actually sleep well. But, but when I'm wrestling him, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to use all of my weight and my strength against him because I know it would really, really hurt him. So I kind of rein it back a bit. And sometimes I win, I pin him down, I give him a good tickle, make sure he's worn out. And sometimes I let him win, I lay on my back and, oh no, Jude, you got me this time, I can't believe it. And he walks triumphantly into the kitchen to announce the news to the rest of the household. 
But look at it, how I, how I wrestle my boy. I can't use all of my strength. I have to rein it back a little bit. I can't use all my weight against him. It would hurt him. A similar thing seems to be going on here. You've got some character who has the power to obliterate Jacob, seems to be allowing Jacob to prevail. So Jacob prevails, but he ends up getting hurt. And then, in this wrestle, the character whom Jacob is wrestling says, let me go. Jacob says, I'm, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go until you Bless me. Have a look at this in verse 26. And then he said, let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And Jacob's, and he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So what's going on here? So we've got this man who has the power to obliterate Jacob is allowing Jacob to prevail. Jacob says, bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. All right, then. The blessing seems to be this changed name. You're not going to be Israel any, uh, Jacob anymore. You're going to be Israel, which means God wrestles or one who wrestles with God or one who wrestles on God's behalf. Hard to understand what Israel really is pointing to right there. But he, he gets that blessing And why is that? Because you have prevailed, you have wrestled with people, and you've wrestled with God, and you've come out on top. What are we supposed to make of that? Well, I think what's going on here is that this character, so we know it's to be God here, is opening up Jacob's past. He seems to be saying, look over the last few decades, Jacob, look back. Look at how you've wrestled with me, God, and with people, and you've prevailed. I think what's going on here is that God has been putting Jacob through a furnace. God has been putting Jacob through trials. He's been putting him through hard times. Jacob, look back and see what you can see, because you see betrayal, you see heartache, you see pain, you see manipulation, you see conflict, you see see dysfunction in the home. Jacob, look back. Can you see all of that? All of those trials you went through, I have been purifying you. You have prevailed through all of this. You know how, um, how the purest form of gold is made? 24-carat 24, gold. Gold is put into, a, into a, a big hot furnace, I guess, and then, and then super, super, super heated. And then what happens is gold and the other impurities begin to separate. And as they separate, the impurities are taken off the top. And then what you're left with is 24-carat gold. It seems as though that Jacob's journey is being unfolded his entire life and typified in this moment. Jacob, you have prevailed. Can you see? I've been putting you through these trials to strengthen you, to give you a backbone like a crowbar. I have been doing this so that you could have a thicker skin to move forward. You've been hurting and you see all that pain. That was because I was forming you, transforming you into someone that I could use to carry the promise. So I think the prevailing right here is pointing to the trials that God has used. Listen to this. The trials that God has used to transform, to form, to mold and refine Jacob into this character. Now we have to see right here that this isn't just the path that Jacob walks. It's a path that God's people often walk and it's not easy. The sun doesn't always shine in God's refining fire. The birds aren't always singing. 
There's not always flowers blooming. The path isn't always straight. Sometimes it gets incredibly dark. And sometimes we don't always have the answers. But what God is doing is opening up his past and saying, can you see that? Can you see how I was refining you? Can you see how I was making you? Can you see what I was doing to make you into somebody who could carry this promise? Romans chapter 5. We know that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And we know that hope won't put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds because you know this is the testing of your faith. And it's producing steadfastness. And steadfastness is taking you to a place where you will be lacking in nothing. Isaiah 43, 1 Peter. Talk about the refiner's fire and how God takes us through these hard times to give us that backbone like a crowbar, to give us that thick skin, to show us what really matters and to strip everything away and say, right, you are ready for me to use you. That's what's going on in Jacob's life. He's... He's being pushed. He's being pressed. It's heating up. He's under pressure. And this piece of coal is being transformed bit by bit into a diamond. I think what's going on right here is God is saying in Jacob's life, your transformation is more important than your comfort. Your refining, your molding, your forming into this character is more important than things going well in your life. It's a really hard pill to swallow. We wish the Christian life was a bit easier. We wish God perhaps would use easier ways to transform us. But you see what Jacob is going through right here. He's being refined and molded. But what we also have right here is you've got the prevailing in the wrestle, but you've also got the limping. What's the limp all about? I mean, he he prevails through the trials he's been put through. And if this moment is typifying everything that's been going on, then why does he suddenly get the limp? It must be significant because it's a lifelong disabling. He goes on on his journey through limping. He, He walks away with a limp. We read that. And then in verse 32, the people of Israel, then in the future, don't eat that little sinew of the hip where Jacob was injured, where Jacob now has that limp. What's that all about? I think what's going on with the limp is that God has given Jacob something very, very painful, something lifelong and lasting to remind Jacob of his dependence upon the Lord. I think this is very, very similar to Paul's thorn that we read about in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to turn 2 Corinthians 12. Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul is saying, I've got this thorn. I wish it would go, but God is using it to crush my self-sufficiency. God is using it to crush my self-reliance. And in the end, what do I end up doing? I know my weakness, and through my weakness in this wrestling and this limp, I then cling on to him with all that I have. I think that's what's going on with Jacob's limp. Jacob's limp is Jacob's thorn. This isn't easy for Jacob, but he's limping on in this. 
God's giving Jacob a limp to create a dependence in Jacob because Jacob's dependence upon God is more important than his comfort, more important than his easy path in life. This dependence obviously is paramount for the Lord. I was on Facebook earlier this week and I saw a post from one of my friends. A couple of years ago, I was in Italy and I had a translator. And, and we, had, we had a great time together. She had brilliant English. It was a second language, but just the most articulate English for, for a second language. And so she made fantastic translator. A year after that point, uh, she got diagnosed with cancer. And so that was a year ago. And just this week, she wrote a post on Facebook. I took a screenshot so that I could read it out this morning. This is absolutely stunning. And I think reinforces what's going on here in Jacob's life. So today, she writes... At this very moment, a year ago, I was being admitted into hospital on one of the worst nights of my life. Tomorrow, they said, we will do a biopsy to check on your lymph nodes. It could be cancer, but we don't know yet. Little did I know at the time I would be heading down a terrible path that would leave me with scars, disgusting memories, and a sense of frailty an awareness of my physicality, and in total awe of my Creator and Lord. After a year, I must say again that he did no better. He surrounded me with shapes of love. He accompanied me step by step, and he taught me many things. And in healing me, he clearly declared my story is to be continued. But the trials might be back. And I have these marks on my body to keep these memories alive. But they're not just marks. They are the sign of a merciful kind of love. I wonder if Jacob, as he limped away, recognized that the limp that he had been given, this incredible hardship on life, was actually a mark of love. And however much it hurt, it caused him to reach out instinctively. God, I need you. God, I'm nothing without you. God, I'm dependent, dependent upon you. Drive me away from my self-reliance. Drive me away from my self-sufficiency. Take me to a place where I am completely dependent upon you. See, this path of transformation for Jacob has a limp. It really hurts, but it creates dependence because dependence in God's mind, is more important than our comfort. But there's one more thing that Jacob gets here. It's the blessing. Look at verse 29 onwards. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So the people of Israel remind themselves, we don't eat this bit of the animal, because we need to remember that we're dependent upon the Lord, just like Jacob was. But he gets given this blessing. He gets given this new name. Now, we're not told exactly what God's name is. At this point in the Bible, God hasn't revealed a whole lot. Later on in the Bible, he's going to show his people more and more of what he's like, what his name is, what his characteristics are, and how he plans to save and provide an option for salvation for humanity. That's what God is going to do through this promise. He is going to save. But we don't find out much about that. What we do find right here 
is that Jacob's given a name. He's called Israel, the God wrestler. Now, you know, you know, naming in the Bible is a really significant thing. Adam names parts of creation. And it's to show dominion over things. It's to show authority or charge over or belonging. So when someone names something, it's a claim. It's, it's, I'm defining you. You belong to me. You're mine. So Jacob gets named. He gets that blessing. And God's saying, don't forget, Jacob, with this new name, I'm signifying something. I'm defining you. You belong to me. You're mine. You are the God wrestler or the one who wrestles on God's behalf. That's who you are, Jacob. And so as Jacob walks away, what does he get given? He gets given a name. He gets told he prevails. And he gets given a limp. Now look at this. If this moment is typifying Jacob's story, if this moment is like a a climactic event in everything that's been going on. If this is God saying, Jacob, this is who you are. Here's the path I've been taking you on. Then we've got to notice this because this is the same path God takes his people on. This is the same path Israel goes on. It's the same path you and me walk down. As God prepares his people for use, what do we see? We see that he deals with us personally. We see that he puts us through the fiery furnace to prepare us and refine us. We get given hard times so that we are dependent upon him. And we're blessed with a new name. And he claims us as his own. This path of transformation is not easy. This path of transformation, refining, forming into the character he would have us be, is really, really really hard at times. And sometimes we can't explain what's going on. Sometimes we don't always have an answer. But Jacob walks away with a new name and a limp and a very, very hard but comforting lesson that he belongs to his God and his God is mapping out his path for him. So how is Jacob transformed? He's transformed personally, prevailing through trials. He's taught dependence and he's claimed Now, you might be sitting there this morning thinking to yourself, why is this a good path to walk down? Why would I want this kind of life? Why would I want to walk? Why would I want to have to go through these trials? Why would I want a limp? I'll tell you why. Because God deals with us personally. That means he's not aloof. That means he's not distant. That means he draws near. That's a good thing. What about those trials and having to prevail? Well, I'm sure it's a massive amount of comfort for Jacob to look back on his life and see the hardship and say that wasn't meaningless. I don't know about you, but I find that hugely comforting. To look back on some of the hardest things and say, I don't always understand it, but through all of that, God was refining me as a character. That was not arbitrary. There is meaning somehow from a good God behind that. What about a limp? How's that a good thing? Well, it's the dependence it brings is a good thing. It is entirely freeing for a human being to be set free from self-dependence. It's entirely freeing for a human being to set free from self-reliance and to throw ourselves, anxieties and all, upon a God whom we know is working for our good. Why is this path a good path to walk? Because we're blessed with a new name and he claims us. 
You see, in this story, we don't have a God standing on the sideline saying, come on, Jacob, you can do it. I'm behind you. You can run this race, Jacob. And we don't actually have a God who just stands beside us. We have a God who walked this path for us. Because we have a God who dealt in his agony alone in a garden. And he sweated blood. We have a God who prevailed through the trials on our behalf and walked that way for us. And we have a God who was given a limp and holes in his hands and a spear in his side and stripes on his back. And we have a God who was raised from the dead and given a name, a blessing above all names to which one day every single knee will bow. We have a God who's walked this path for us. You see, this is the path of transformation that Jacob walks on. It's a path of transformation that gets him to a place where God says, right, name change, remember you belong to me. I am readying you. I am forming you into the kind of character who could carry my promise of salvation into a dark and needy world. God's path of formation is not easy, but it's the path he gives for us so that we can be the kind of characters who are transformed, refined, molded, and formed into the kind of people who can carry the promise of salvation into a dark and needy world. Let's pray, and then we'll get to sing together. Lord, we are so thankful for the life of Jacob. And we're thankful that throughout his life, You were dealing with him in the same way you deal with so many people. You were refining him. You were molding him. And you were forming him into the character you would have him be. And we know throughout his life the heat was turned up. And at times it hurt. But we're thankful you're so good. You were so good to communicate to Jacob. This is all not at loss. This is all not wasted. Because I've been refining you. Lord, would you help us to see that in our own lives too? The paths you take us on aren't easy, but they're the paths you know that we need. You understand us better than we do, and through this story, we see your goodness in and through our lives. So Lord, we ask a very dangerous prayer, but it makes sense to do after this. Lord, refine us, mold us, and form us into these kinds of characters whom you can use to carry your promise of hope to the world. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.